I'm in Meredith Balo's kitchen, where she's pulled up an old Facebook Messenger exchange on her phone. Okay, awesome. And I start reading it to myself. Hello, Kelly. Hello. I'm working today, so I'm in and out. That's okay. It's from a couple of years ago. Kelly is a mom who had been posting about her daughter in a group for type 1 diabetics. The daughter was 12 and had just been diagnosed. About 20 years ago, Meredith had been that kid. She went to a special camp for type 1 kids, and it made a huge difference for her. Immediately, she had a plan for this family. I said, ah, I will get you into a free camp. Like, I just knew I could. (laughs) So she invited the mom into a private chat. I get Meredith to do the reading from here on in. If I can find you a contact for your daughter to go to camp for free, would you be interested? I can't make promises, but I have a few connections I can try to pull. Let me know. A few days and a bunch of messages later, Meredith has found camps near Kelly's home with generous financial aid policies. She's connected Kelly with the right people and pushed her to turn in the paperwork. Kelly writes back. You're a wonderful person. I can't, I couldn't have done any of this without your help. You are an angel from above. Thank you for your support. I get tired of digging for help. Meredith writes back. It's nice to let someone else do the digging for a minute. And then there's, what is this? And she sent this to you or you sent this to her? She sent it to me. Cheers. Cheers. (laughs) It worked. The girl went to camp. Meredith and Kelly are still in touch. And this is the kind of thing Meredith does. She helps people, type 1 diabetics, co-workers, randos on Reddit, figure out how to navigate the cost of healthcare. Because any battle they're up against, she's been there. This is An Arm and a Leg, a show about the cost of healthcare. I'm Dan Weissman. And I first heard from Meredith about a year ago. Last year, she caught our episode about Renaissance Fair workers and the safety net they've created for each other. In the last few years, they've paid more than half a million dollars in medical bills for each other. But their secret weapon is a part-time advocate who teaches people how to navigate the system. She has helped them make more than $2 million in bills go away. And at the end of that episode, I said, if you know someone like this, or if you are someone like this, please get in touch. The next day, I had an email from Meredith with the subject, I am that person, like your Robin Hood. Below that, it said, I have gotten thousands of dollars in bills reduced or removed or just plain made disappear for myself and helped others. It's a combination of extreme couponing, phone negotiations, letter writing, and bless it all, lots of paperwork and receipt keeping. I was like, oh, yes, please. And it turns out we're neighbors. Meredith lives about a mile from me. Around Labor Day this year, I stopped by. I met Meredith and her husband, Chris, and their three-year-old. Hi. 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 Guthrie. Guthrie. Oh, named after Woody? Yeah, right on. Come on in. Hey, Guthrie, good to meet you. Can you show your house? (gasps) Would you? And we sat in her backyard for a couple of hours, and she told me her story. And then we met three more times in my little back porch studio, in her kitchen. Because it turns out, the story of how you become a healthcare ninja, a Robin Hood, it's complicated. And it's not all roses, even today. Being a ninja, it's a lot of work, a lot of time, a lot of feelings, all of it. The first time we meet, one story stands out. It's the moment when Meredith first emerges as a fully-fledged ninja. 
In this story, Meredith is in her mid-20s, and she's just moved to a new place. She's got no insurance, and she isn't making a lot of money. And she's a type 1 diabetic, so she needs to be seen all the time. And she needs an endocrinologist to sign her paperwork so she can get discounted insulin. So... I just started making phone calls, and I found a guy, and I was like, hey, would you be interested in taking on a negotiation to have a patient? I will, you know, how how much you want. (laughs) (laughs) Me, me patient, you doctor, (laughs) how much you want. It was exact. yeah, that's exactly how this happened. (laughs) And so we came to terms on a price, and he would see me unlimited amount of times. I just had to pay him four times a year. And when you made the deal on the phone. Yeah, it was pleasant. I, like, went in in person and finished the negotiation there. (laughs) Finished the negotiation like a business deal. Like, she was in her mid-20s approaching this whole deal with a kind of detachment that, well, for me at age 51, is difficult to attain in dealing with, you know, the financial side of the medical system. And in doing this show, I've talked with lots of people who deal with it. Not a whole lot of them have this kind of detachment. Like, who does that? Meredith Balow does it. Here's how she got there. First, her parents were in the business. Dad's a doctor, mom's a nurse. So the whole territory, including the back end, it's kind of familiar. For instance, her dad's home number is listed in the phone book. Sometimes patients look up the number, call the house. And one thing she learned from seeing how her dad operated was this. I knew that people gave care because they cared. My dad cared. He gave a lot of free or stupendously discounted service. So as a kid, she doesn't know how important this will be later, but she's already soaking up a lesson that most people do not get at home. Doctors are people who want to help. Then comes the tougher stuff. On her 12th birthday, she's diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. She spends a week in the hospital, and it's basically boot camp. It's like, this is your regimen, this is your new life, here's your, like training book. Here's how crazy this is going to be. And This was 20 years ago. These days, Meredith uses a continuous glucose monitor and an insulin pump and one of the newer insulins, the super expensive kinds. But 20 years ago, this stuff was really not around so much. 12-year-old Meredith learns a system of sticking herself for blood sugar levels and injecting herself by hand multiple times a day. And Every day is a series of incredibly rigorous calculations. You have to time your food. You have to time your meals. Calories taken in, units of insulin injected, minutes on the clock. She spends a week in the hospital learning this, and then she's got to live it every day. Her mom helps. Mom's a nurse. But still, this is a kind of second lesson. Being healthy, just staying alive, requires work, requires vigilance. Every day. All day. Then there's another lesson. Your life does not have to stay on any sort of standard path. I was held back that year because I had missed so much school. And I dropped out after seventh grade. After seventh grade? Dude, old, early. (laughs) Wow. My mom was, she was a trailblazer. She's like, oh, well, we'll just homeschool you. But this wasn't about diabetes, not mostly. Meredith was managing the injections and stuff, but she was dyslexic couldn't read out loud as a seventh grader. And the school wasn't offering services to really help with that. This was rural Ohio 20 years ago. And her mom was sending a message. Well, this is okay. You know, your life isn't going to look like other people's. And Meredith says her mom was living out that message herself. She was not a popular person for pulling us out of school. 
That was in our small town a big what? <laughs> You're doing what? Meredith got back on track academically, but she didn't head back to regular school. Instead, I got my GED like as soon as I turned 16 and started going to college. I was, I just needed, I needed a different schedule. I needed a schedule that fit my diabetic schedule, not the daily schedule of school. It's not just the schedule either. It's also all the fitting in, dealing with the society of adolescence. I was having nothing to do with it. Right, I was right, out. right. You didn't have, you literally didn't have time for that. I just, I, I didn't. So there, lesson fully learned. Your life doesn't have to look like other people's. Meanwhile, her mom has another lesson for her, dealing with bureaucracy. Every few months, there's a phone call that has to happen with the insurance company to certify that Meredith is following all her protocols, injecting when she's supposed to, checking her levels, tracking everything she eats. When Meredith is about 14, her mom tells her, making that phone call, it's going to be your job. I'm not going to be an interpreter on this. you got to go in there and start, you know, you got to take the call. you got to tell them, yes, I'll do the thing that you're telling me to do. And Many years later... When Meredith is Facebook chatting with Kelly, that's the mom with the newly diagnosed 12-year-old, Meredith is like, definitely, in a couple years, have your daughter start talking with the insurance company for herself. I'm vicious with mine and rarely have problems because my mom, slowly at 14, started giving me more of the negotiation responsibilities. Of course, teenage Meredith didn't know she was building a set of long-term ninja skills. She was just scrambling as best she could. And the scrambling kept getting more intense. Around the time she started college, she found out she had a rare heart condition and she needed surgery. My parents didn't know if I was actually going to survive all these things on top of each other. It's like, I was really sick. She went to school in-state and she says she shortened her horizons. And I mean, the immediate horizon was a lot to deal with. I really didn't have the brain power to do things that I really probably could have ended up doing. She majored in art, partly because she loved it, but also because it was just about the only thing she knew she could do. The dyslexia wasn't gone. There were other learning differences. Reading was still really hard. Writing was still really hard. Doing math was impossible. Getting the art degree took everything she had. I would go to bed at... 8.30 every night, and I really didn't have a social life. It's really, really, really tired. In other words, she knows that an art degree is not exactly a ticket to any particular career, but it's a college degree, and she wants a degree as soon as she can get one. I had to leave Southeastern Ohio. <laughs> it was a 70-mile car ride to the doctor's office like to get to like a specialist. She graduates with the art degree, moves to Columbus, Ohio, and takes a job at a nursing home. It's not her dream job, but there's health insurance. Uh, yeah, I had a bachelor's degree, so when it was 2009, and the economy had collapsed, and, and I needed insulin. Meredith talks about this period as being about short-term thinking, limited thinking. Other kids got to choose a major, choose a career, balance priorities. She only got to have one priority, survival. Maybe this is a ninja lesson too, accepting limits, crummy limits, limits not everybody has to accept. And maybe short-term thinking, survival thinking, this is maybe a ninja characteristic too. Or maybe it's just a raw deal. Not everything has a silver lining.
But after college, before Meredith settled into the nursing home gig, she and her boyfriend, the same guy she's now married to, they did this one thing that was really kind of rash. Or at least it was not all about immediate term survival. He made the same calculation a lot of new college grads made right then. It seemed like a good time for graduate school. Wait out the recession. Come out of it with a new credential. And they really wanted to see the places he was applying to. Check them out. So they hit the road. And so we did. We lived on the car for three months and we visited universities going all across the U.S. eating ramen noodles. And she had this other thing besides the ramen noodles. The way some people sock away money when they're going to quit a job in a few months or keep a go bag under the bed in case of an earthquake. She had been socking away insulin, her doomsday kit. So she grabbed her go bag full of insulin and ramen noodles. They drove across the country visiting graduate programs. <laughs> and we, I was like, okay, well, I can do anything. <laughs> I'm just going to go on this adventure. We did. But then there's an emergency, a health emergency. We'll have more on that right after this. This season of An Arm and a Leg is a co-production of Public Road Productions and Kaiser Health News, a nonprofit newsroom that covers healthcare in America. Kaiser Health News is not affiliated with the giant healthcare provider Kaiser Permanente. We'll have a little more on Kaiser Health News at the end of this episode. So, Meredith and Chris are on their big road trip, and suddenly there's a health emergency. But it's not hers. In Yosemite, Chris falls and breaks his hand in three places. And I'm like, oh my God, we don't have insurance. You need surgery. And then I started calling doctors. This was like my very first time, like, negotiating all I knew is I need to find a guy and I wasn't going to have the surgery done in California because I didn't know anything about California and I didn't know if I could negotiate with someone there but in Ohio in her little town she's got all kinds of connections remember her dad's a doctor she works his connections gets commitments from people a surgeon a team I we drove across the country (laughs) with his hand with his hand like broken in absolute pain so they get there But there's something she hasn't thought of. He's in there, and then I'm like, okay, but I don't know if I'm going to pay for an operating room. She doesn't have any insurance, any money, any job, any anything. Just a go bag with some insulin and some ramen noodles. And the hospital's like, well, actually, here's a financial aid application. And I was like, oh, yes. (laughs) You have created a monster. (laughs) It was like they gave you your first taste. Yeah. Maybe they created a monster, but I'd say they completed her ninja training with this crucial bit of knowledge. You don't have to personally know somebody. There's a place to go. And it was just this sweet little room just right by the front door, which was so funny because that was the same hospital I volunteered at as a kid. It was just right across the hall. She and Chris head back to Columbus. He's not going to start art school till his hand can heal up. She takes the job at the nursing home, gets insurance, keeps honing her ninja skills. A few years later, when Chris does go to grad school, she follows him to Illinois, even though his school is in a small town. There is no guarantee of a job with insurance, and she doesn't get one for a while. But she's ready. She's got her ninja chops together. 
She works the phones, finds herself that endocrinologist, does her negotiating, gets him to see her for cheap and to sign the forms so she can get those coupons for cheap insulin. And the job she does get, a temp position as a clerk in the town hall, it gives her bonus ninja tools, mad paperwork skills, a better understanding of the person answering the phone when she calls this bureaucracy or that one. Because now... She has been that person. When I was working at the city, like, eventually I became one of those people who was the form keeper. Like, I'm the checkbox keeper. Have you done A, B, C, D? So here's how she ends up putting it now. The ninja's perspective. Like, there's only three things that you're fighting. Problems with competence, problems with greed, and problems with maliciousness. And luckily, most things are incompetence. Like, yeah. There's a process for asking, but the probability of something going wrong on the other side, of them losing the form even though you filed it, say, it's huge. And so if you are calm and persistent and organized, you can take on 100% of the burden of competence. Here's what that sounds like. I'm like, but we, we just, you know, we just talked like a month ago on this date. Don't you have that there? Oh, wow. Yeah, I do have that on my call log. Can you bring it back like that? Oh, yeah, sure. Because you've been so nice and patient and you're not mad at the person who's just there ticking the boxes. You know, the first time we talked, I got Meredith's origin story, but we didn't have time to get to the stuff about the way she'd learned to help people. And her story was tougher than I'd anticipated. A little less uplifting. We talked again, and it was actually kind of an emotional conversation. Since the first time we'd talked, she had been doing some calculations about her current job, how much of her total compensation goes to health care. And it's more than half. When you count the money that her employer puts in toward a health insurance premium, the part that she pays, the deductible, all the co-pays, Almost 60% of the money that her employer slates as money for Meredith's position goes toward health care. She was not happy about it. I told her I'd been thinking about our first conversation, her ninja training, how tough it was, not something anybody would sign up for, how much ongoing work it was, how I was starting to think about the story. Here's how I'm currently pitching it. Okay. Is like my neighbor, the healthcare money ninja, uh, you know, has like good news and bad news for you. Yeah. And the good news is that like it can be done. And the bad news is it is a real fucking drag. And, and not everybody has it in them. Yeah. They don't. Yeah. No. They definitely, everyone does not have it in them. Have you known people who didn't? Yeah. Would, would you tell me one of those stories? No. I mean, you know, like once you're a diabetic and you've grown up with enough diabetics, they do start to die. Yeah. So. I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> It's not just money. Type 1 diabetes is a life-threatening illness. It requires constant vigilance. Everybody's body responds differently, no matter how vigilant they are. And people die young. 
Meredith had brought over a book of cartoons about her experience with her health. You're great, funny, and super, super sad. This one actually was remade and like a, it's like reappeared across the internet. Someone had oh, remade wow. it and it was really sweet. But so this is, it reappears. No, it's mine. I'm the original. No reason to cry over spilt milk. Broken insulin. That is worth bawling over. <laughs> oh, you have to take shots. You must have the bad diabetes. <laughs> yes, they're all out of the good <laughs> Later, Meredith wrote to me, and she was like, hey, that was pretty heavy. She wrote about how being an artist had saved her. She said, I think I downplayed the experience of being joyful through the marathon. And she said she'd pulled up some examples of where she'd helped folks, like that text string with Kelly, the woman whose daughter Meredith hooked up with Free Camp. So we got together again at her kitchen table. She showed me the text string with Kelly, and she talked about how she'll help other people dig up the financial aid form on their hospital's website. They don't even know where to go. And you're like, well, okay, what state, what city do you live in? She gets the hospital's name. And then you just start opening up and going into their business section or their eligibility section for financial aid, popping in all those keywords. And then if it's there, you'll be able to pop that up for them and just hand it to them. But so this is like you do this, like someone you... I do this for fun. Like, (laughs) this is my... It's hard for me to go out and um, do a lot of activities. And so, like, this was just one of the things was when I was, like, sicker that I was just like, oh. You would, like, hang out in Facebook groups and look for somebody who needed help? And... Or, like, Facebook or Reddit. Or people just ask. There's a whole Reddit page just dedicated to hospital bills. And you would hang out on that page and be there to answer people's questions? Yeah. Because there's, oh my a, God, there's so that's... many of us. <laughs> <laughs> and she's not getting around. Here's some excerpts. Look for the words financial aid, charity care, anything along the lines of words that can hide money. Ask your doctor. Tell them, look, I'm tight on funds right now. It would make a big difference in my life if you lower what I owe to $100 or whatever seems fair. And then there's technical advice about fighting a vague, super high emergency room bill. And it ends with, good luck, stay cool, keep fighting. Another one includes, be polite and start climbing the billing info ladder. Another one ends, and just keep asking. You are negotiating for your life. Be polite always. Maybe cry a little, but keep asking. On and on. It's awesome. And kind of exhausting to contemplate. And in our last conversation, Meredith said something interesting. She said essentially that she does this partly to overcome her own sense of exhaustion, of being overwhelmed herself by all these issues. I really don't think I'm necessarily going to be able to solve them for myself. But if you can solve them for someone else, it's, well, I did that for that person. I'm sure I can turn that skill over and do it for myself. Even ninjas don't stop worrying. And then I've gotten to see the thrill of this stuff, too, because of something that happened recently. And Meredith played a role. So last summer, I got this medical device called a CPAP machine. It's for people whose airway closes up in their sleep called sleep apnea. It's pretty unhealthy. And it was funny because I was doing a story at the time about how these devices spy on you for your insurance company. You might remember it from last season. It was a pretty fun story. You guys are spying on me. And the machine was amazing for me. I mean, sleep apnea makes you tired. So I was surprised when a test said I had it. I took the test because my snoring drove my wife crazy. I didn't think I felt tired. (laughs) It turns out, I just had not known what not tired felt like. This was like discovering coffee for the first time. But then this thing happened. (laughs) 
I went on a trip a few weeks later and brought the machine with me, and I left it on public transit on the way to the airport. Man, I called Lost and Found for a week. Nothing. And I knew from having done this story, that machine spies on you so your insurance company knows if you're using it. And if you're not, they won't pay for it. In the first few months you have it, they don't buy it. They just make little rental payments to the vendor. And if you don't use it, the vendor takes it back. But I couldn't give it back because I didn't have it. And meanwhile, I was going to be super tired. And I was not going back to that. My wife, Devorah, posted to a neighborhood Facebook group, asked if anybody had a spare. And guess who wrote back? Meredith. She had one from when she was pregnant. It used to belong to her dad. And this was before I scheduled interviews with her. I wish I had recorded that lightning visit. Anyway, I got the medical device people on the phone. They were like, your insurance might pay for a new one, but we need to get paid for the one that's lost. Paid by me. And then if the insurance didn't pay for a new one, I'd be on the hook for the second one. And in both cases paying the price they get from insurance, which is way higher than you'd pay someplace else. And the whole thing was going to take weeks. (sighs) We bought a gently used one from some website, and I gave Meredith her dad's back when I interviewed her for the first time. And thank you for loaning me this thing. You're welcome. And then we waited for the bill to come. Last week, it came. More than $1,000. I left it on the dining room table. And then... Something pretty awesome happened. I came out from the world headquarters here on my sun porch, and my wife, Devor was in the living room, and she had just called the equipment place and gotten us a huge break. Wait, what did you just say? I think I'm fucking amazing. You are. So you just, you just, you just, you just saved us, what, like $800? Well, I just called them, and I said, you know, we had to buy a new one, and I'm wondering if you could meet us in between your cost and the what you're billing us for, Aww. because... That's such a nice way to put it. I know $1,059 probably isn't your cost. So I basically just appealed to her sympathies. And I was thinking she'd knock off like 100 maybe 200 bucks, (laughs) just because I was so nice. And I wasn't even sure. She said she had to check with someone. She actually called me back. She checked. Then she called back and she said, can you pay, you know, $310? Oh, my God. And I I said, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we can. You're amazing. I love you so much. I'm just relieved. I've been dreading getting this bill. I know. I've been dreading getting this bill, too. And then I saw it, and I was like, oh, no. I've been dreading how you would feel and what you might say when you saw it. I What I saw was, I've been listening to this show, and I think I have an idea. You're amazing. It's always worth a try. Yes. Holy mackerel. That is the... That's amazing. I know. That's amazing. See? I just, like, I'm just making money left and right here. <laughs> left and right for our family. It's not Sweden, but, you know, it's something... It's like a postcard from Sweden. It's like a postcard from Sweden. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. Mm. Oh. So romantic. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> kind of is. Depends what you're into. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm going to okay. go back and make the show. Okay. I love you so much. Okay. Oh. Devorah posted her triumph to Facebook and Meredith wrote a comment. That's some ninja-level work right there. By the way, when Devorah mentioned a postcard from Sweden, that's kind of a family joke. We talked about it in the very first episode of this show, where if you have the right kind of job with the right kind of health insurance, it's like you live in a country with a really good national health plan, like maybe Sweden. I don't actually know a lot about Sweden. If you haven't heard that first episode, you might want to check it out. Actually, if you're new here, you could go back and listen to all of them. I think they're all pretty good. And that first episode is a great place to start. And you know what I would love? Wherever you listen, 
why not leave us a review? I think five stars is a great rating, and it's an easy way to help us out. One more thing. When this episode was first posted, it contained an error. It misstated how prevalent tech like insulin pumps and glucose monitors are. We've corrected that. Many thanks to the listener who let me know. Next time on An Arm and a Leg, if this podcast were a musical, it would be Explanation of Benefits, which is actually a show in rehearsal right now in New York City. It's got a smart and funny history of health insurance set to music. And this. Can you pay my bills? Can you pay my medical bills? Can you pay my deductible bills? So maybe I can get my bills. That's next time on An Arm and a Leg. Till then, take care of yourself. This episode was produced by me, Dan Weissman. Our editor is Ann Hepperman. Our consulting managing producer is Daisy Rosario. Our music is by Dave Weiner and Blue Dot Sessions. Adam Raymonda is our audio wizard. This season of An Arm and a Leg is a co-production with Kaiser Health News. That is a nonprofit news service about healthcare in America. It's an editorially independent program of the Kaiser Family Foundation. Kaiser Health News is not affiliated with Kaiser Permanente, the big healthcare provider. They share an ancestry. That's it. It's a fun story. You can check it out at armandalegshow.com slash Kaiser. Diane Weber is national editor for broadcast, and Tanya English is senior editor for broadcast innovation at Kaiser Health News. They are editorial liaisons to this show. Finally, thank you to some of our new backers on Patreon. I couldn't make this show without you. Pledge two bucks a month or more, you get a shout out right here. Thanks this week to Saul Kravick, Brandon Bergeron, Zoe Weinstein, Henry Potish, Peter Ronsky, Megan A. Webb, Eddie Torres, Bill Cantor, Amy Searer, Sarah M., Emmy Bean, Stacey Ebel, Magdalena Plavinka, and Joan Allen. Thank you so much. Seeing you come in and support this show makes me feel so good. It's like, yes, holy mackerel. That is the, that's amazing. I know. That's amazing.